do want to introduce one of our other pastors, Pastor Allison, who's going to be bringing a word this morning. So let's welcome Pastor Allison. So as Mike mentioned, my name is Allison, and I am the assistant pastor here at the River. Today, I'm going to be wrapping up our summer sermon series titled Renewal of the Mind. Our inspiration for the series comes from a verse in the book of Romans. In his letter to the Church of Rome, Paul said this, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Throughout this sermon series, we've been exploring together what renewal of the mind looks like in practice. And we've been attempting to answer the question, how can renewing our minds help us step deeper into the abundant life in all its fullness that God offers us? So today, I want to talk about scars. Do you have any scars? I certainly do from various accidents, surgeries, and traumatic events throughout my life. The Britannica Dictionary defines a scar as a mark on something showing where it has been damaged. Scars are the after effects of wounds, injuries, suffering, or trauma. They are the traces left behind even after our bodies and minds have done their best to adapt and heal. Physical scars are often perceived negatively as blemishes or imperfections. They are often described as ugly or unsightly. People pay a lot of money on skincare products or on dermatological procedures to try to erase their scars or at least make them less noticeable. So too do we try to hide our emotional scars, which can be sources of internal shame or embarrassment. But is this the only way to think about scars? Perhaps there's a more life-giving perspective. Today's stories come from the resurrection accounts in the book of John. After Jesus was killed and buried in the tomb, he began appearing to his friends and followers. In John's gospel, Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene, who was sitting outside the tomb weeping. Interestingly, Mary did not recognize Jesus at first. She actually mistook him for a gardener until he said her name in a way that pierced her heart. I wonder if Jesus looked very different in his resurrected body. So different that one of his closest friends couldn't recognize him immediately. Jesus' next appearance was to the disciples inside a locked room. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I wonder what the disciples were thinking and feeling when Jesus appeared to them. I mean, it's pretty crazy, right? Their friend and teacher, who had just been killed, was now alive again. On top of that, he was now able to appear and disappear at will and even move through walls. 
Did the disciples recognize Jesus? Or did they, like Mary, find him to be unrecognizably different? The first thing Jesus did when he saw his disciples again was to greet them by saying, peace be with you. The next thing Jesus did was show the disciples his hands and side. We can assume that Jesus was showing them the marks from his injuries caused by the nails in his hands and the spear in his side. When the disciples saw the marks, they were overjoyed. The marks were the evidence they needed to see in order to believe that, yes, this really was Jesus standing before them again, alive. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Thomas wanted to see the marks on Jesus, the same proof that the other disciples had already seen. Thomas needed to see for himself in order to believe. Fortunately, when Jesus next appeared to the disciples a week later, he graciously allowed Thomas to examine his scars, and Thomas, too, was satisfied that it was Jesus resurrected. There are a couple of things that I find really interesting about these stories. First, it's interesting to me that Jesus was resurrected in a human body with scars. Jesus could have been resurrected in some kind of transcendent, non-human form. Instead, he retained a human body that could be touched and eat food, even while having supernatural powers. Perhaps even more surprising, Jesus' body retained marks from the suffering he endured during his life. Jesus could have been resurrected with his skin unblemished, with no trace of scars, but he wasn't. That matters. Second, it's interesting to me that scars were the proof that Thomas and the other disciples needed to confirm resurrected Jesus' identity. Jesus could have identified himself in other ways. He could have told stories of their journeys over the past few years or confirmed information that only Jesus would know about, but he didn't. Instead, he showed them his scars. For the disciples, the marks on Jesus' body were not just signs of the physical suffering Jesus had endured, but they were evidence of Jesus' identity. They symbolized who Jesus was at the core, the God of the wounded and the downtrodden who was willing to suffer for the sake of unconditional love. So what are the implications for us? What should we take away from this story? The first point I want to make is that scars are not shameful. Society sends us the message that we should hide the evidence of the toll life has taken on us. But Jesus' example tells us the opposite. Kate Bowler, author and professor at Duke Divinity School, puts it this way. 
We bear all the ruins of the lives we've lived and the loves we've endured. What a gift to have a Savior who does the same. In the kingdom of God, we do not need to hide the reality of our lived experiences from ourselves or others. Instead, we have permission to embrace the truth of our lives, to show up as our authentic selves, to be open and honest in our relationships. Scars are reminders of who and where we have been. By no means are they the entire story of who we are. After all, even Jesus' life was about more than just his death. But our scars are important parts that deserve acknowledgement and acceptance instead of ridicule and shame. We are often reluctant to embrace scars because they are reminders of our human frailty. This is understandable. It can be hard to face how vulnerable we are to harm. However, when we disavow scars, we in turn reject parts of ourselves, of others, and of our histories. This means that we fail to love ourselves and others unconditionally. The path of unconditional love calls us to courageously face the truth of our lives and of the human condition. The second point I want to make is that resurrection is not reversal. In April 2021, when people were beginning to emerge out of COVID isolation, Nadia Boltz Weber, a Lutheran minister and public theologian, wrote this prayer. Help us remember that resurrection isn't reversal, that as we return to life, we are carrying our own wounds from loss and isolation but we are also emerging with new beauty and new wisdom. We are not who we were, but we do get to discover who we are. When we experience harm, physical or otherwise, it takes a toll and changes who we are. After such events, going backward is not a possibility. What has been done cannot be undone. And yet, there is a way forward, the way of resurrection, a process that also alters us. When Jesus was resurrected, he did not experience a reversal. His body was not restored to its previous condition. Instead, he was transformed. He carried the scars from his past, but also developed a new appearance and powers. Just like Jesus was changed through suffering and resurrection, so too are we. In our resurrected selves, the marks of past wounds and the new life God breathes into us coexist and intertwine. We are made new without completely erasing the old. We are not who we were, but we do get to discover who we are. Jesus' resurrection gives us hope that there is life after death, both at the end of our lives and after the smaller deaths we experience daily. But this new life, breathed into us by the Holy Spirit, 
is not a simple return to how things once were. Instead, it's a movement forward into someplace new. Beauty and wisdom and goodness exist in the new terrain, but they may look very different. This seems to be the way that God works. Christian tradition says that at some point in time, Jesus will come again. That the kingdom of God will come in fullness. That there will be a new heaven and a new earth that will last forever. That all of creation will be regenerated and there will be no more brokenness or suffering. It is important to note that all of these beautiful promises of regeneration do not involve reversal. They are not an undoing of history or a turning back of time. We are not promised a return to the Garden of Eden. Instead, the book of Revelation describes a beautiful city, the New Jerusalem, where God and people will dwell together, bathed in the light of God's glory. Slowly, God is moving each of us and all of creation forward, working with what is to create something simultaneously recognizable and unrecognizable. As many of you know, my mom passed away in December from pancreatic cancer. So as you might imagine, I've spent much of the past year experiencing and thinking about grief. There are many models out there that try to make sense of grief. One that has helped me was created by Dr. Lois Tonkin. Here's an image that helps depict the model. The top line of circles says, people think that grief slowly gets smaller with time. And it shows the red grief circle getting smaller. The bottom line of circles says, in reality, grief stays the same size, but slowly life begins to grow bigger around it. And these pictures show the outer life circle getting bigger, while the red grief circle remains the same size. Now, I understand grief is highly personal, so this model might not resonate with your experience, and that's okay. But it has been really helpful to me. My grief after losing my mom doesn't feel like it has gotten any smaller as time has gone on, but I do notice that I'm learning how to live with it and around it, that my life is growing around my grief. Healing for me has not looked like a reversal, a return to how things were or the person I was before my mom died. Instead, it has looked like integration, like letting grief and loss become a part of me and the ongoing fabric of my daily life, just like Jesus' scars were an integrated part of his resurrection body. Healing has looked like carrying the scars of grief and breathing in the new life of resurrection. It has meant allowing myself to cry and be sad when I need to, and also allowing myself to appreciate the parts of my life that are beautiful, joyful, and life-giving. God helps us to move forward through death into resurrection, 
without denying that we have, in fact, experienced death. We are invited to both acknowledge where we've been and step into the possibility of new life. The final point I want to make today is that scars can be sources of connection. When we are experiencing or have experienced hardship or suffering, it is often comforting to speak with someone who gets it, someone who has been there before, someone who has suffered and has the scars to prove it. Just like Jesus showed his scars to the disciples, we have the power to reveal our scars to each other. To be honest and open about the ways we have suffered and survived. In doing so, we can help each other to feel seen, accepted, and known. And we can give each other hope that there is life after death, even if the journey there may be slow and painful. As I invite the worship team back up here, I would like to close in prayer. God, help us to be people who are not ashamed of their scars. Give us the strength we need to accept ourselves and our histories just as they are. Empower us to extend this same grace to those around us. And fill us with the courage and wisdom we need to share our stories of suffering and survival with one another. Where we've tasted death, come Holy Spirit. Breathe into us the new life of resurrection and transform us through the renewing of our minds. Let us be reminded that we never walk alone. You are always with us, providing comfort, companionship, and unconditional love. Help us to experience more and more of the abundant life in all its fullness that you promise us this week and forevermore. Amen.